What's up, Ninja Nerds? Today we're going to be talking about metabolic alkalosis. This is part four of five for our series on acid-base disorders. We're going to be talking about a lot today, but the first thing you have to do is check out our website, ninjanerd.org. Become a member, check out our illustrations, download them, download our notes, and even follow along with our notes during this podcast. You're going to find it really beneficial. So I definitely urge you to do that. But we're going to be talking about part four or five, metabolic alkalosis. Let's dive right in. Let's not waste any more time. Zach, start us off by, <coughs> by defining what metabolic alkalosis is. And then what are some of the causes, the most common causes of metabolic alkalosis? Sounds good, my man. Yeah, so we're talking about metabolic palooza here. So metabolic alkalosis. So this is basically a condition in which there is an increase in bicarb within the bloodstream. So whenever bicarb increases in the bloodstream, you got to think about it. Bicarb is a base, right? So if there's a lot of base within the blood, it's going to cause the pH to go up. That's the basic like pathophysiology. There's an increase in bicarb or there's a drop in the protons within the bloodstream. And that causes the blood to be more basic and increases the pH. Question is, is what causes the bicarb to go up or what causes the protons to go down? That's a great question. I know you guys were asking that. Guess what? There's a mnemonic to help you guys remember that. It is vomit. <laughs> oh, man. So the causes for vomit are within that actual mnemonic. V for vomiting. That actually is one of the cause. O is for overcorrection of those dyspneic patients who have a chronic respiratory acidosis. Who are those patients? Those are patients with COPD. And now they have a compensatory metabolic alkalosis. We'll describe a little bit more about that in a second. The other one is mineral corticoid excess. So that's the M. So this would be hyperaldosteronism. I is iatrogenic. So you're giving somebody sodium bicarb, maybe because they have contrast-induced nephropathy or because they have a metabolic acidosis, they have terrible renal failure. And then T is for total volume loss. So they're getting diuretics, they're on laxatives, they're bleeding for some reason. So again, easy way to remember this is mnemonic that, that is vomit, okay? So let's actually kind of dig into this like actual mnemonic a little bit more. So when we talk about the V or vomiting, this can actually involve two components. So it could be the person actually just like exorcist like vomiting, or you're actually having an NG tube. So maybe you have somebody has like a bowel obstruction, you put an NG tube down there to decompress the bowel and actually suck some of the actual uh, stomach acids out. When you do that, you pull out protons. So whenever somebody's vomiting or you're in G-tube suctioning, you're pulling protons out of the GIT, and that's going to reduce the total amount of protons within inside of the body. If you reduce the protons, the pH will go up. The other one, which is that overcorrection of the dyspneic patient with a chronic respiratory acidosis. These are your COPD patients. So patients who have chronic COPD, they normally have high CO2 levels within the blood because they're just not exhaling as much of their CO2 out. They have an obstruction of some form. So what happens is they compensate. How do our actual kidneys compensate for an acidosis? Well, they compensate by actually retaining bicarb and excreting protons. And so what happens is over time with a patient with a chronic COPD, they'll actually have more bicarb in their bloodstream. That's called a compensatory metabolic alkalosis. And it's utilized to try to normalize their pH. But if you have a COPD patient with a chronic respiratory acidosis and a compensatory metabolic alkalosis and you put them on the ventilator and have them breathe at a faster rate, you increase their tidal volume, you increase their respirations or some kind of form like that, and you actually have them blow off their CO2, now what are they left with? They no longer have a respiratory acidosis. All they have left over is a metabolic alkalosis, and it's going to be difficult to get those patients off the vent. The next one is to dissect that mineral corticoid excess. So that's the hyperaldosteronism. So you guys know whenever that people have high aldosterone levels, you actually reabsorb sodium across the GIT and excrete potassium. We know that. 
risk. But the other thing here is that with high levels of aldosterone, it actually causes particularly a very interesting type of thing here with the proton excretion. So what happens is in these patients, is you actually have, whenever there's somebody has a very high level of aldosterone within the blood, there's gonna be a lot of protons that are being excreted into the urine and more reabsorption of bicarb. So if excreting a lot of protons and reabsorbing a lot of bicarb, you're again, reducing the protons in the bloodstream and increasing the bicarb in the bloodstream, that's going to increase the pH in the blood. So what are the causes of somebody having high aldosterone? Well, this could actually be due to some kind of like primary issue like Kahn syndrome, where they have an adrenal tumor that's just blasting out aldosterone. Sometimes it could be a secondary cause. So there's a lot of renin that's being produced. And whenever a lot of renin is being produced, that increases angiotensin II production and angiotensin II stimulates aldosterone production. So it's kind of like an indirect way. And this would be like renal artery stenosis or somebody who has like severe CHF or cirrhosis or they have like a tumor of their like renal secre renin secreting cells, like the JG cells. So this would be the big things with the mineral corticoid excess. The next one is iatrogenic. And so this is actually usually due to sodium bicarbonate or you're giving somebody some type of bicarbonate. So maybe if somebody has a severe acidosis and you're giving them a lot of bicarb and then you just overshoot a little bit and that causes more of an increase in the bicarb within the bloodstream to the point where it causes an alkalosis or Somebody has like terrible renal failure, they have like uremic acidosis or they have like a contrast-induced nephropathy and you're trying to protect their kidneys and you put them on bicarb. Sometimes that increase in the bicarb can actually cause a, uh, again, a problem here where it actually increases the pH because you're getting a lot of bicarb into the bloodstream. The last thing here would be a total volume loss. So whenever you actually lose a lot of volume from the body, you actually cause this thing called a contraction alkalosis. So you're losing fluid. What happens is you have a lot of bicarb in the bloodstream. As you lose some of the fluid, it starts to contract the actual vasculature down. And so sometimes you can see this a lot in patients who are like on diuretics and they're being maybe a little bit over diuresed because they have heart failure, or a significant amount of edema or they're just super dehydrated. Sometimes it could be from hemorrhage or they're just like, I don't know, taking X-lax because they want to like make weight for some reason and they're just spewing out of their butthole a bunch of fluid. So those would be particular reasons why you would have a total volume loss, which would again cause this massive increase in bicarb, thereby causing a bump in the actual pH. All right, I think that actually worked out really well, Zach. The, there's a lot of information to go over, but to remember the causes, just remember vomit. And I actually think that's a pretty cool mnemonic because the V in it is actually vomiting. That's, yeah. that's a good start right there. I think so too. <laughs> so remember that cause is here, vomit. V for vomiting. O for overcorrection of dyspnea. M for mineral corticoid excess, like hyperaldosteronism. Ha. Huh, you got it that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I for iatrogenic like uh, sodium bicarb for contrast-induced nephropathy, metabolic acidosis, or renal failure. And then T for total volume loss, like diuretics, laxatives, bleeding. Uh, and again, that mnemonic is vomit. All right, Zach, so let me uh, have you go through the clinical features now. All right, so when we have a patient with metabolic alkalosis, big thing to think about is, again, with alkalosis, think about those complications we talked about within our first lecture or the first podcast on acid-based disorders. When you think about the nervous system or actually the cardiovascular system, you can develop arrhythmia, so definitely look for any kind of like SVT, VTAC, VFib. Think about the effect particularly on the respiratory system. So if you have an alkalosis, your pH is high, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to actually drop your pH. And so what will happen is your respiratory rate will slow down. And so you have some hypoventilation and that'll actually cause them to retain some more of that CO2. The other thing is think about electrolyte shifts. You can have a lot of electrolyte shifts, especially 
uh, calcium. So you can actually drop your potassium, drop your calcium, drop your magnesium. But I think calcium is a big one, um, especially. And think about this because whenever you have alkalosis um, or an alkalemia, there's albumin, right? And so albumin normally has negatively charged ions on it and usually binds to protons. So if you're alkalotic or alkalemic, you don't have as much protons in the bloodstream, not as much of that's bound to the negative charges on albumin. So now you have to have something else that's positively charged bind to albumin, and that's calcium. So calcium gets stuck to the albumin and it decreases or leaches calcium actually from the ionized free form. That drops our calcium, that increases the risk of having things like uh, tetany or paresthesias, like the perioral paresthesias, um, some of the carpopedal spasms like Trousseau sign whenever you're like inflating the blood pressure cuff, or uh, facial nerve, like kind of like twitching whenever you touch the facial nerve area, that Shaw of Steck sign. And sometimes you can see the tetany in these patients. So these would be things I'd be looking out for, Rob, as the particular clinical features in those with metabolic alkalosis. All righty. Great. Good to know. Let's move in now to the uh, very important part. Let's take some patient case examples here um, because it's one thing to know the information, but it's another thing to actually apply them. Amen, brother. So what we have to do here is we're going to get an ABG on two patients. Patient number one, we have an 82-year-old male who has been vomiting like the exorcist for the past two days, <laughs> coming into the ED looking like death. <laughs> you get their ABG, you get some findings back. You have your pH at 7.56. CO2 is 35. Their O2 is 90, and then their bicarb is 44. Holy moly, that's like double. Yeah, that's not good. So what does this mean, Zach? What do these numbers mean? And, and for, for those listening, try and figure this out. What's going on here? All right, so let's go through step by step. pH, it is high. So if it's going up, that's one thing. Next thing, look at the CO2. Is it going in the opposite direction? Okay, well, the CO2 is actually within the normal range. So it's 35 to 45 is the normal range. So I can actually kind of like move away from that for just a second. Go to the PO2. It's 90. Normally, it's 80 to 100. So that's in the normal range. Then go to that bicarb. Holy stink. Uh, that bicarb is super high. Normally, it's 22 to 26. Now it's 44. Again, if the actual bicarb is going in the same direction as the pH, that tells me that it's primarily a metabolic alkalosis. Uh, and that's pretty obvious right there. I'd say that this is definitely a metabolic alkalosis. The patient should generally start to compensate, but again, this has probably been happening, uh, it's actually two days, so they haven't compensated enough yet from their kidneys um, and, and from the respiratory system. Generally, what would happen with the respiratory system is that you would actually start retaining the CO2. And so with this situation, they would be hypoventilating and their PCO2 generally would actually go up um, and because they're gonna be hypoventilating. In this case, it hasn't really done that yet. So. I would definitely be looking at this. A patient is just vomiting out all of their proton ions. If they're vomiting out all of their proton ions, they're going to decrease the protons in the blood, and that's going to cause the pH to go up. So I think that vomiting is their cause. I would probably try to put them on something like Zofran or, you know, Ondansetron, something like, um, you know, maybe Clopar, uh, like, like Compazine or something of that nature to try to be able to reduce the emetic effect, but also figure out why they're vomiting, make sure that there's actually no bowel obstruction of something going on. So maybe get like a KUB or some type of abdominal x-ray or CT scan of the abdomen. But figuring out that I think is the big thing um, to figure out why they're vomiting and then treating that vomiting is a big thing here, Rob. Okay, great. Let's move on to patient number two, okay? Patient number two is a 74-year-old female with CHF, has been getting diuresed with furosemide in the hospital for the past three days for pulmonary edema. Their pH is 7.58, CO2 is 50, their O2 is 78, and their bicarb is 40. Zach, walk us through this one. What do we got here? All right. So we got this pH. It's up. So 7.58. So it's increased. Look at the CO2. 
CO2 generally should be going down uh, in this situation. If it was in the opposite direction, it would kind of tell you that there was a respiratory alkalosis, but it's not, right? So not going in the opposite direction. PCO2 is actually 50 in this case. So again, if that was the case, PCO2 is going up. It's not. It's going in the same direction as the pH. So therefore, if the pH and the CO2 are going in the same direction, it can't be a primary respiratory disorder. So the CO2 is going up. There's probably a reason for that. We'll talk about that in a second. PO2 is 78. Okay, well, normally oxygen is like 80 to 100 millimeters of mercury. There could just be that pulmonary edema that she has. It's altering that a little bit. But let's move past that. Let's move to the bicarb. Bicarb is 40. Normal is 22 to 26. So that bicarb is super increased. So if it's going up, okay, and then the pH is also going up, they're moving in the same direction as compared to if the pH is going up and the CO2 is going up, that's not going to be a, a good thing to associate with respiratory problem. So pH is going up, and then the bicarb is going up. So that is definitely going to be a metabolic alkalosis. Now let's make sense of that CO2. If you have a metabolic alkalosis, your pH is high. What would your respiratory system try to do to compensate for that? Breathe slow. If you breathe slow, you retain CO2. CO2 in the bloodstream goes up. So as you see here, their PCO2 went up because they're trying to compensate for their metabolic alkalosis. But did they do it enough to be able to normalize their pH? No. So this is actually what's called a metabolic alkalosis with some partial respiratory compensation, just not enough. And then what's the cause? The cause here is obvious within the patient's history that they have been getting diuresed with ferrosamide. It's probably a total volume loss. They've been a little bit over diuresed and now they have a contraction alkalosis. And so that bicarb is actually going up as a result of potential total volume loss. And so that would be a potential thing to say, okay, maybe we actually either add on another agent like Diamox or what's called known as acetazolamide or just decrease the dose or maybe hold off on diuresing the patient any further, Rob. Alrighty, so you got this ABG, it showed metabolic alkalosis. What other additional labs and imaging could I order to help assist in my diagnosis and figuring out the cause of the metabolic alkalosis? Yeah, so the best thing to do is actually just kind of take a look at the patient, go to the bedside, but I think also just looking for any evidence of hypovolemia. So sometimes just doing like a bedside ultrasound, looking at their IVC, looking at their heart, looking at their lungs, I think those are big things to think about. If their IVC looks super collapsed, if their heart, you know, if their lungs actually look relatively clean and there's no kind of like uh, curly B lines or a lot of fluid accumulations, that might kind of support, especially if their eyes and nose maybe show that they're a little bit down or a little bit negative for the stay, that might support kind of like a total body hypovolemia. And I would consider maybe giving the patient a little bit of hydration. The other thing is if the patient is super hypertensive, despite putting them on multiple types of antihypertensive medications, think about an aldosterone issue. So maybe they're just like pumping up that hyperaldosteronism. And so maybe go ahead and order like a renin and uh, plasma renin aldosterone level. So sometimes what you can see with this is if a patient has a primary tumor that's blasting out aldosterone, they'll have particularly a very low renin level and a high plasma renin aldosterone. But if they have like some type of renin secreting tumor or CHF or cirrhosis or something else that's a secondary cause of that high aldosterone, then you'll see a high renin and a high plasma renin aldosterone level. So those are big things to think about. And just get your electrolyte panel. Look for any kind of complications there. Hypocalcemia, hypokalemia, hypomagnesemia are big things to think about here, Rob. All righty. That's awesome. Great job so far. I think this is making perfect sense. Yeah, baby. All right, Zach. So, Let's go on to the final point here, and this is how to treat metabolic alkalosis. Really, really important here. So how do we do that? 
All right, so big thing here is obviously thinking about the that again, that mnemonic if you really want to help you vomit. So vomiting. How do I stop the vomiting? Okay. Big thing is again, think about the underlying cause. Figure out if is it if it's a bowel obstruction, you definitely need to fix that. Get whether it be going in surgically, whether it be putting in an NG tube and then just decompressing the bowel. I think that might be a, a you know an acceptable thing to do. But I think putting them on a proton pump inhibitor, proton pump inhibitor actually can actually reduce. Um, some of the hydrochloric acid production in the in the actual stomach. So that may help to be able to reduce some of the proton uh, loss. The other thing I would consider is just some antiemetics to try to be able to stop them from continuously vomiting, things like ondansetron, some things like chlorpromazine, like a compazine. I would try things like that. And then again, if you do have an NG tube in and you're just like suctioning it nonstop, I would try to reduce the amount of NG suction um, if able. The other thing is if a patient has post-hypercapnic metabolic alkalosis, you have a patient with COPD, you put them on a ventilator and you're having them breathe at a fast rate or you're trying to make them breathe at a fast rate to try to like actually treat their, you know, basically reverse their chronic respiratory acidosis. When you get rid of that, that's the problem. Now they just have a metabolic alkalosis. So what I would actually consider doing is if you have a patient on the ventilator who has COPD and you have now a metabolic alkalosis, give them something like acetazolamide or Dimox um, to try to be able to excrete some of the bicarb into their urine. And that may actually drop the bicarb level so that the only thing that's kind of remaining inside the actual body or within the blood is just the actual chronic respiratory acidosis. It makes it easier to wean these patients from the ventilator. The other thing is figuring out if they have a mineral corticoid excess, figuring out why. Is it hyperaldosteronism due to a tumor? Because if it is, I might actually have to go into like an adrenalectomy or some type of like resection of wherever that, that tumor is coming from. The other thing is you can consider trying to give drugs to block aldosterone. So when aldosterone levels are super high, you can give drugs like, you know, spironolactone or eplernone. And so that'd be a big thing to think about. If it's the secondary one, like it was due to CHF, treat the CHF. It's due to cirrhosis, treat the cirrhosis. If it's due to some type of like renin-secreting tumor, you might have to resect that. So again, figuring out the underlying cause for the secondary things, which is again, at high renin, high aldosterone levels, that will require some more thorough workup. And then the last thing is if they have a total volume loss, so they're taking a loop diuretic and you're giving them maybe daily or frequently and they're actually looking a little bit dry, their bicarb's going up, they have a metabolic alkalosis, maybe consider like holding off on further diuresis, maybe reduce the dose, maybe add on acetazolamide in this situation. If they don't have any CHF, they don't look super volume overloaded, they don't look volume overloaded at all, their lungs look clean, their IVC looks super collapsed, their heart's actually pretty good, um, they don't have any av obvious evidence of poly you know, peripheral edema, consider giving them some intravenous fluid. And then lastly, if they do have CHF and they look definitely volume overloaded, if you're going to try to be able to replete them, maybe consider things that, again, are like very small IV boluses or maybe lighter types of diuretics like spironolactone or acetazolamide. All righty. So remember, Ninja Nerd fam, this is like I'm repeating the same thing over and over again. But if you know the cause, you know the treatment. So in this situation, you're not going to forget it. Remember vomit. Remember the vomit. Reverse those causes. You got your treatment. All right. We covered a lot in this podcast. Make sure you stay tuned for part five coming out next week. You're not going to want to miss it. It's on metabolic acidosis and it's going to be huge, but it's, yeah. it's a really concerning one and we got to know it, right? Yeah, definitely. That's going to be the back daddy of all of these. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So again, guys, remember, uh, subscribe. And what I mean by that is go on engineer.org, become a member, check out the notes, illustrations, everything that you're going to need to succeed. 
Zach, send us off with some key takeaway points from this podcast. All right. So again, taking away from this podcast, a lot of things that were discussed here, but when we talk about metabolic alkalosis, again, remember that the primary issue is that there's an increase in bicarb and a decrease in protons in the blood. This is increasing the pH. Figure out why. Remember those mnemonic vomit. When you go through all of those, it helps you to figure out the underlying cause. So if they are <laughs> vomiting, if they're overcorrection of a dyspneic patient, if they have metacorticoid access, if it's an iatrogenic cause because you're giving them bicarb, or if it's a total volume loss. You can further evaluate these patients, get that ABG, work them up. And again, with a metabolic cause, look for the pH and the bicarb to be going in the same direction. Look for any kind of hyperactive CNS effects, any anxiety, delirium, seizures, tetany from the hypocalcemia, and look for that compensatory hypoventilation to try to retain more CO2. Further evaluate their actual underlying causes. Look for their eyes and nose. Look to see if they look hypovolemic. Do a good bedside history and an ultrasound exam. Look to see if they have any hyper, hypertension. If they do and they're not, res, they're super resistant to the antihypertensives. Check a renin and plasma renin aldosterone level. Get some electrolytes to look for any kind of electrolyte derangements that you can see in these metabolic alkalosis. And again, once you know the underlying cause, you can treat those specifically. So Ninjas, I hope this podcast made sense. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. And as always, my friends, until next time.